If you've got your Bibles, if you would please turn with me. We're going to be in, uh, let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going we're gonna to end on Luke 15, but you can go ahead and get your spot right there. We'll make sure to put all the scripture up on the screen for you as well. But I wanted to welcome you to Calvary Tabernacle. Happy Easter. Glad everyone is here this morning. Glad you're able to make it. Everyone looks so nice. Had a couple people ask me if I'd been to Florida lately, and I don't know why, but they did. Got my oranges on this morning. But uh, I love all the, the bright colors, the, just that celebration of life. So everyone looks beautiful this morning. Everyone looks beautiful. I want to thank our pastors, Pastor Billy and Sister Peggy, for giving us this opportunity, not only today, but this weekend to have our Easter egg hunt and, and our Good Friday prayer service. And, and it's just been a wonderful, beautiful weekend. We want to thank uh, Julie Elliott and her team that put together everything and made it all so nice and pretty and, and fun for us. So yes, come on. Amen. I'm excited about what God is going to do here today. Thank you, Jesus, for this moment. And God, I pray that as we look into your word, Lord, that you would help us to open our ears to hear, help us to open our minds to, to comprehend. And God, I pray that our hearts, the heart of every single man, woman, and boy and girl in this place today, that our hearts would be open and ready to receive every single word that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, the, the title of this message today is, Would You Cover For Me? Would you cover for me? I don't know if you've ever, uh, maybe you had a little bit of a shaky past as a, as a child, and uh, this especially happens whenever you have multiple siblings, and, and you get in trouble around the house for doing something, and, and you're like, oh no, just don't, don't tell mom or dad, don't, you know, don't, don't tell them what I did, and what you're asking as a kid is, hey, would you cover for me? Would you, would you conceal the things that I've done so it's not exposed and, and so I don't have to go through the consequence of my actions? And, and so today I want to talk about this idea of covering. Someone look at the neighbor you're sitting beside and say, I'm going to cover you. There we go. So here's point number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. I need a sacrifice. I need a sacrifice. See, we have a problem in this world, and uh, this, this problem can be boiled down to three letters, S-I-N. We've got a sin problem. You probably expect to hear that coming to a church on Easter Sunday morning, but it's true. And I think a lot of people, we, we have this idea, you know, God, why, why couldn't you just rid the world of evil? Like, whenever I turn on my TV screen and I'm watching the news or, or I pull out my phone and I'm scrolling through the news, I, I see so many evil things happening all around me. I see things happening that, that make me cringe. I, I see violence. I see hatred. I, I see people that have been unfaithful, people who have lied and, or stolen or cheated, and, and people who have abused. And, and it's, it's ugly. We live in an ugly time. We live in an ugly environment. We live in an ugly culture that's just, just absolutely condensed with sin. And we just think, God, it would be so easy if you are good and if you're strong and you are good and you are strong. Well, why don't you just help the world just be rid of sin? Why don't you just boop, get it out? Like, has anyone, am I the only person that's ever thought, you can go ahead and raise your hand in here. We're, we're all family in here. You can go ahead. I, I thought that, like, God, couldn't you just, you know, just and it be done? But if we're honest, 
We could say today that the same things that we see out in the world around us are the same things that we experience within us. Because every single one of us, as the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, all have sinned. Every one of us has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard, God's glorious standard. See, I think we, we make a practice, if you're a believer in the house, I think you make a practice of, of looking at other people's sin and saying, ah, I'm not as bad as them. Like, I haven't gone that far before. Like, I haven't killed anybody. So, I mean, you know, I'm actually pretty good, you know, if you look at the grand scheme of things. But the problem is, is we're comparing our sin with another person's sin. But God says that he has a completely different set of standards. Have you ever heard the word comparison? I want you to think about it like this. Compare a sin. When we're living in comparison, we're, we're, we're comparing our sins to other sins. We're comparing our merits to other merits. But if we are going to be the church of Jesus Christ with power and authority in our lives, then we have to learn to, we have to, learn to view ourselves by a different standard, and that's God's glorious standard. So I think it's easy to say, God, couldn't you just get the sin, get the evil out of our world? Well, if we're being honest, that would mean that I have to go and, and you have to go and, and your neighbor and your wife and your kids and we, we all, like, God would just have to just poof. I got to get rid of humanity because the sin problem isn't just outside. The sin problem is, is in our hearts. So we see that sin brings about a big problem. So what do we do? How do we reconcile that in our minds? How do we, how do we come to a conclusion that God is good but sin is still here. It's, a, it's a kind of a daunting uh, thought to think of. But I want to show you what God had in mind. And this is beautiful, absolutely beautiful, because we want the sin out of our world and out of our hearts, but we want to be here at the same. We still want to exist. Does anybody just not want to exist anymore? Don't raise your hand in that. Don't do that. <laughs> we all want to exist, and we want to exist in a world where we can be free from sin. And so God made a way. Look at the psalm when you sit beside and say, God made a way. God made a way. I want to look at Leviticus chapter 1 real quick. I bet you didn't expect to be reading from the book of Leviticus on Easter Sunday morning, but that's where we are here today. Leviticus chapter 1, they'll put it up on the screen. Verse 1, it says, the Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, you may take it from your herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Then slaughter the young bull in the Lord's presence. Well, it just took an ugly turn, right? And Aaron's sons and the priests will present the animal's blood by splattering it against the sides of the altar that stands at the entrance of the tabernacle. Everyone said amen, <laughs> right? 
That's kind of gross. That's kind of, and we got all of our kids in here today. We're all just in here. We, we usually have kids' church, but today we're, we're going to have communion here in a moment, and we wanted to make sure our families were together as we take communion. And so I realize kids are here. I don't want to get too, too graphic in this, but this is ugly, church. God made a way for us to purify ourselves from this sin problem that we have, but it wasn't a pretty solution. It was pretty ugly, as a matter of fact. It was not beautiful. We see that we have a problem, and this problem is sin. And here's the thing about it. I want everyone to hear this today. Sin demands a penalty, and that penalty is death. That's not a small penalty. That's, I mean, you know, we, we expect a maybe a little slap on the wrist, you know. Well, I'm not as bad as that person over there, so God should have a little bit more, bit more mercy. I mean, well, the thing about it is, is debt or sin is co- demanding a penalty. Sin is demanding a penalty. A penalty has to be paid when a person sins. So we have this ugly reality. Hey, I, I'm a sinner. I, I've done things that I should not have done. I've gone against the Word of God. I've gone against morality. I've, 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 I haven't been a perfect person. And death is saying, hey, you're mine now. That's not a good feeling, is it, church? That's not a good feeling. But here's, there's actually two things that happen when we sin. Number one is it brings pain and suffering to ourselves and to others. Let's bring it back old school a little bit for the Bible. If, if you were to steal your neighbor's sheep, it would bring about pain and suffering for your neighbor. Your actions would cause a negative impact on your neighbor. But not only that, say you get caught stealing your neighbor's sheep. Now you've got to pay a penalty. You've got to pay a price. So that's the first thing that happens whenever we send. There's another thing, though. The relationship that you had now with that person is strained. It's damaged. Those that you sin, whenever you sin, those that are affected, that relationship you have with them now is damaged. I don't know if anyone's ever done anything to you before, but if they've ever done anything that was hurtful or painful, you know how difficult it is to be happy around them and smile and, and, you know, put on a a face that says, oh, you know, don't worry about it. It's difficult because we're experiencing pain and we're suffering on the inside. And that relationship, as much as we want these things to have never happened, they've happened and, and it causes strain on a relationship. Someone say, but God... He's so great that in his mercy, he provided a way for us to be forgiven and those relationships and our relationship ultimately with him to be restored. And that's what I want to talk about today. There's two words that sum that idea up. They're Bible sounding words. So hang on with me. Are you ready? Atonement and reconciliation. Atonement and reconciliation. I know these words, they're they're not commonly used in our everyday English conversation today, but if you're going to read the Bible, you're probably going to run across these words pretty often, atonement and reconciliation. These are what these words mean, so we'll just help you out. Atonement means to cover, to cover something, to cover. Reconciliation means to make friendly again. 
In other words, there is a relationship that has been pulled apart, and reconciliation means that that relationship has been brought back together and made friendly again. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see there's a penalty we've got to pay, and we need that penalty covered. And then in Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says, It is your sins that have cut you off from God. It's, it's caused a separation in a relationship. Someone say, I need to be atoned. Say, I need some reconciliation. Congratulations, you just said two big Bible words. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. We need to be atoned. We need to be reconciled with God. And so God created this system of atonement called animal sacrifice. It was ugly and it was brutal and seemed kind of violent. And we just read the first five verses of Leviticus. If you read the rest of the book of Leviticus, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, what just happened there? Like, it talks about all kinds of crazy stuff. And the reason why God gave the Israelites all of these rules and commands and and regulations in the book of Leviticus is because sin is a real problem. And we need a real solution. And I believe with those books that are hard to read in the Old Testament, it's God's way of saying this, hey, I'm serious about sin. And I'm serious about your need to be purified. Here's the third thing. He's serious about you. He's serious about you. So he created this system of animal sacrifice where you would take an animal and you would slaughter it and its blood would be poured out because sin's penalty is death. And we've committed sin, so something has to die. Something has to die. And God in his mercy said, I will provide a way for you to live. And so they would take an animal, they would do all the things to it that the instructions that God had given Moses said to do. They would... They would splatter its blood over the the different articles in the tabernacle, symbolizing that those things were being purified by the blood of the animal whose life was given up to cover our sins, to cover their sins. Here's the problem with animal sacrifice, though. I don't know if you've noticed this, but people sin a lot. I sin a lot. If you're honest, you might say you sin a lot. So what do you do? I mean, I can imagine God is giving, giving these instructions to Moses and saying, hey, Moses, I've got this new system. It's called animal sacrifice. Whenever you sin, you're going to have to offer an animal. You're going to have to kill it and use its blood to, to purify your sins. That sacrifice will cover your sins. I can just imagine Moses, you know, he's, he's sitting there and Aaron, his brother, is, is next to him. And I can just imagine Moses kind of leans over and he's like, hey, uh, Aaron, we're going to need more animals. That, that's, that's a lot of it. We're going to need a lot of it. <laughs> I mean, I've been leading these Israelites for a little while now, and, man, they are, they are crazy. They're doing some weird stuff. We're going to need, like, if you can find any animals. Like, but God gave them this specific animal for a specific purpose to be offered in a specific way because sin is a big price. And the Israelites at that time, they didn't, 
look at animal sacrifices just, oh, man, I got to go kill my goat. Like, you know, they're like, hey, I, I get to go kill my goat so that I don't have to pay the penalty. And although it's this ugly and, and brutal-sounding system, at the same time, it's beautiful. And it's gracious and loving that a people that have messed up so bad that their sins could be covered and forgiven. Look at the person you're sitting beside and say, would you cover for me? Would you cover for me? So God created this, this day of the year where they would make these sacrifices. It was called the Day of Atonement, the Day of Covering. And on this day, they would go through all those religious rituals so that their sins could be forgiven. And I can imagine you thinking, God, like that's just, that's a weird kind of, that's a, that's a weird sounding system. I don't know about, you know, that sounds kind of brutal. And we almost think that God is like this archaic and, and slightly barbaric ruler, you know, that's, that's commanding these brutal things. But, but I want you to notice something. It was never God's intention for animal sacrifice to be a permanent system. And I want to show you this in Exodus chapter 25. This is before God told them what to do in Leviticus. Just keep note of that. Exodus chapter 25, verse 17. This is so good. This is so good. He's given Moses instruction on how to build the tabernacle and all the furnishings that would go in the tabernacle, which would be this place where the animal sacrifices would take place as a form of worship to God. And, and so Exodus 25, verse 17, he's given him instructions, remember, how to build this. He says, make the ark's cover. Right before this, he told him to make an ark. It's a box. And then he said, then make the ark's cover the place of atonement from pure gold. Now skip down to verse 21. It says, place inside the ark the stone tablets. So place inside the box the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant or the law which I will give to you. He hadn't given it to them yet. I want you to notice that. He hadn't given the Israelites his law yet. That covenant relationship with, between God and his people hadn't been formed yet. He told them, build a box and place inside of it the articles of the covenant. The agreement of the covenant, my law with you, place it inside the ark and then put on top of the ark the lid, the covering called the place of atonement. Y'all, this is good. Are you ready for this? this? Whenever I read this, I was like, wow. I hadn't seen this before in the Old Testament. Listen, God created a way for his people to be forgiven of their sins before he ever gave them the law to follow. Paul tells the church, he says, hey, it, it, the only way you could not sin is if there was no law to follow. And at this time, the Israelites, they had no law to follow. And, and before they were given the law, basically God is saying this, hey, I know you're going to mess up. I know you're going to make mistakes. I know you're going to sin. 
That's why I'm making a way for that sin to be covered. Put the place of atonement over the law because I know you're going to break it, but even before I give it, I want you to know that there is room for you in this relationship. There is a way for your sin to be covered. Woo! Y'all, I got excited when I read that. I love it. Mmm. The place of atonement. Before we even had a law to break, God created a way for us to be forgiven. So this idea of animal sacrifice, it wasn't final because God had a plan all along. Even before the law was given, he already had a plan in place. And animal sacrifices, they would happen for a couple thousand of years. But then on a cold, crisp night under the stars of Bethlehem, the final sacrificial lamb would be born. Someone say, I need a sacrifice. Here's point number two, I need Jesus. Can I tell you today, Jesus is that sacrifice. Look what Paul says about Jesus in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. He says, when we were utterly helpless, That tells me I'm desperate. I am in desperate need. I need Jesus. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. Not for himself. He died for us. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Church, say it with me. Atonement. Atonement. While we were still sinners, we hadn't perfected ourselves. We hadn't run to the cross yet. He went to the cross first and said, hey, I am paving the way for you. I am covering your sins by his death on the cross for us while we were still in our sin. And then it goes on to say, and since we have been made right in God's sight, by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. And look at this. This is probably one of the most beautiful verses you'll hear today. For since our friendship with God was restored, look at the person who's sitting beside and say reconciliation. Because your friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son that we are celebrating this morning. Come on. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Come on. Woo! Church, it would have been enough if we still had a system of animal sacrifice today. That would have been enough. He's not obligated to give us anything. 
But not only did he give us a way for our sins to be covered, but he paved the way for our relationship with him to be made friendly again. We are friends of God in this wonderful new relationship that we have with him. Jesus, thank you. Mm. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Mm. If our worship team would come on up this morning. Please hear me, church. You don't just want Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. We've needed him from the beginning. That's why so many Christians claim that any other belief is, is invalid or in, illegitimate. It's because there is no other way to the Father except through Jesus, except through his sacrifice. We needed a sacrifice. He was the sacrifice, church. That's why there's no other way. There's no other way. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We need Jesus. Our world needs Jesus. Here's our last point right here. I need a resurrection. I need a resurrection. So how do we get included in this deal. We want our sins to be covered, and we want, I mean, if, if you don't want a relationship with God, then you just haven't experienced his goodness yet, because let me tell you, once you experience his goodness, you're going to want that relationship with Jesus. So I don't know about you, but I want it. I want to be included in this deal. I want to be made right with God. I want to be restored in friendship with Jesus. So how do we do that, church? It says in Romans chapter 3, verse 22, it says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith. It's faith. And this is true. I want everyone to hear this because there may be someone in this room here today that says, man, I've gone too far. I messed up too bad. You say Jesus will cover my sins. Well, Pastor Sam, you don't know the sins that I've committed. I want you to see this next part right here. Romans 3 verse 22. This is true for Everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Listen, the only act that you have to perform to be covered and reconciled with God, to be atoned for and to be reconciled, the only act is putting your faith in Jesus. That is the only act that you will ever have to perform to receive this beautiful relationship with God. Mm. Dalton, would you come up here for a minute, please? Thank you. Luke chapter 15. I asked you to turn there at the beginning. We're finally there. Verse 17. This is the story Jesus told of the prodigal son. It's a story that he made up to prove a point that he wanted to make. Luke 15, verse 17, it says, when he finally came to his senses, talking about this younger son, let me tell you what he did. This younger son went to his father and said, Dad, I, I, I want my share of the inheritance now before you die. That's a pretty selfish thing to ask, isn't it? Like, give me what's going to be mine after you're dead, but I don't want to wait till then. Just give it to me now. In other words, the son is saying, Dad, you're as good as dead to me. I want it now. So his father chose to give it to him. And the son leaves, 
leaves home, leaves his father, runs away, and squanders everything his father had given him on wild living. About that time, a famine came across the land, and the food is getting scarce, and, and people are getting worried, and there's chaos all in the world, and, and the son, he doesn't know what to do. Remember here, he's, he's a Jewish man, and, and he has nothing else to do, and so what does he do? He, he, he goes to a farmer, hey, can I have a job? And the farmer said, man, I got some pigs. I mean, you can feed the pigs. You can take care of the pigs. This is a Jewish man. Pigs are unclean animals. According to the law, this, this Jewish man says, I'll do it. I have nothing left. I am at the lowest of lows. I've got nothing else to live. I mean, it's just, I'll take it. I'll take it. And so he goes, and, and he starts working with these pigs, and, and he gets so hungry that even the scraps the pigs are eating looks appetizing to him. I mean, he gets so low. And then finally, one day, Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, man, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Even the hired servants. I was my father's son. I had plenty. Even the hired servants had food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. In verse 18, I will go home to my father. Someone say, let's go home. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Notice he's, he's preparing this speech. He's going to give his father this grand speech. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. That's the heart of repentance, church. That's a heart of repentance coming humbly and saying, God, I, I don't deserve what you have to give me, but I'm willing to receive whatever you will give me. So he did. He returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, embraced him, and he kissed him. And his son, he, he started reciting this, this speech he had prepared. His, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father cut him off, and he says to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. Someone say, kill it. Kill the calf. We have been fattening. We've been preparing for this moment. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And I'm reading from the NLT. I love what it says. It says, so let the party begin. I want to show you. Sorry, Kate. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross made a covering for us. The Father said, Son, you're not just a hired servant. You're my child. 
You might have come back home with filthy rags on. You might still smell like pig scrap. But I don't want them to know you like that. I want them to know you're valuable. You're chosen. You're loved. He covered him. He covered his son's shame. He covered his son's sin. Said, hey, listen, I don't want you to identify with that. You need to know you are my son. You're not some hired servant. You are my son. Then it goes on to say, let me grab this real quick. The father said, hey, go get a ring. Put it on his finger. What he's saying to the son is this. You're not just a hired servant. You have authority. He didn't have to give us authority, church. (laughs) He didn't have to give us a position or a place. But he's just that good. And even though we came in with filthy rags, now we're covered And now we've got a symbol of authority on our hands. Back then in Jewish culture, if you wrote a letter or if you uh, signed a decree, you would use your ring. It's called the signet ring. And you would put some wax on on the, the piece of paper and you would press that ring into the wax and it would show the emblem of your family on it. Saying this is an official representation of our family. They said, you know what else I want you to do? Go get sandals. Put it on his feet. Back in this time in Jewish culture, sandals, this is beautiful. Whenever someone went and bought property from someone else, the person that sold the property, he would take off his sandals and give them to the person that bought it saying, I'm transferring this over to you. This now belongs to you. And Jesus, as he's telling this story, he's not just saying, oh, he gave him a fancy ring, gave him some sandals, four feet. No, he's saying this, hey, the father, he was lavishing love on his child. He wanted the child to know who he was. He wanted the child to know his past didn't define him. He wanted the child to know that he could walk with authority. And he wanted the child to know that everything that Jesus did for him was done as a gift. He was transferring it to him. It's your right to be a believer. I think someone needs to hear that today. If you are an unbeliever, it is your right to be a believer. We have been given the right. It's been transferred to us. And then he said, go get the calf that we've been preparing. The fattened calf. Go kill it. We're going to feast. I want you to notice, none of these things, the son didn't need any of these things. He didn't have need of any of these things, but the father gave it to him. And I want you to notice, he said, go kill the calf. See, church, for there to be a covering, a forgiveness of sins, something has to die. Sin demands death. Something's got to die. Father said, go kill the calf. And as that calf is 
being slaughtered, that atoning power covers them, covers this child. He says, now let's party. Now let's celebrate. Because today a resurrection has happened. My son once was dead, but now he's alive. He once was lost, but now he's found. He's finally home. And let me tell you, church, that is the heart that God has for you today. I want you home. I'm pre- I have prepared a place of atonement. I have prepared a place of reconciliation. I have prepared a place for you. I want you to notice, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, Jesus initiated reconciliation. He initiated atonement. He didn't wait on us to get our stuff together. No, it wouldn't. It would never happen. We, could, we couldn't. It's impossible. So he initiated it. I want to say this to you. If you would just close your eyes for a moment. Thank you, Dalton. If you would just close your eyes for a moment. I want you to hear this very, very, very clearly because this could be the, the difference maker in your eternity today. You don't have to get your life together to come to Jesus. He initiated atonement and reconciliation. All we have to do is go back home. All we have to do is have faith in Jesus and in his work on the cross. And when we do that, church, a celebration is going to happen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun because we've seen a resurrection. We serve a resurrected God. You can open your eyes. Listen to this. Jesus is all about resurrections. We needed a sacrifice, and we need Jesus. But church, we need a resurrection. We need a resurrection. So if you're in this place today and you say, hey, I, I want this. I, I want to be covered. I want that wonderful new relationship with God. Or you might say, hey, I, I want that wonderful new relationship with God again. Because I, I've known him before, but lately I've felt a little bit more like the prodigal son. I want to tell you today, the Father's arms are open wide. Father's arms are open wide. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can be atoned and reconciled with God. If you would stand to your feet, please. Here in a few minutes, we're, we're going to take communion. But before we do that, I want to invite you. This, today is a celebration, but today is also when life is going to begin. Can we agree to that? You just say, hey, life is, gonna, life is about to begin for someone here in this place this morning. Church, I've been praying these last few weeks, God, I want your will to be done. God, I want your, your heart to be spoken. God, I want people to, to respond and be made new. And so I want to just invite you, if you feel God tugging on your heart, saying that, hey, I want a relationship with you. 
I want to cover and atone for your sins. I want to be united in friendship with you again. I want to invite you to come. And if our prayer team would come on up. If at any point during this worship service you you want to come and say, Hey, God, I, I want to give you my life. Jesus, I want to be saved. We invite you to come. We'd love to pray with you. If you want to say, hey, listen, I felt like I've been a little bit distant lately, but I want, I want my heart to be reunited with God. I want you to come. You may say, hey, I need healing in my body. I've been sick. I've been hurt. I've been suffering. Listen, the Bible tells us that by the stripes of Jesus, by his wounds, we are healed. We're talking about a resurrected king. If you need healing, if you need salvation, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, listen, don't put it off any longer because you've got a God who has initiated the reconciliation. All he needs from us is a response, church. All he needs is a response. And so I want to encourage you as we worship together, if you need prayer, come for prayer. We've got altars on either side over here. If you want to pray alone, you can come to one of these altars over here. We ask if someone's at the altar, please don't pray for them. Just let them have a moment with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pray and we're going to worship. And here in a couple minutes, we're going to take communion together. Let's worship together.